0: Meet Rainbow Grocery Cooperative, an amazing San Francisco staple since
1: 1975.
2: For all your space chicken sci-fi comedy non-political humor needs, go to timstesseract.com.
3: Press out those new jokes every Monday 6 to 8 on Joke Workshop with four-minute sets and four-minute critiques from everyone Get positive by host Pam Benjamin. Pump those dick jokes every Thursday 7 to 9 with True Hustle Thursdays. Hashtag THC. That's hashtag THC. You want more open mics? Fridays 6 to 8. Happy hour with Host and George D. Smith. Pew, pew, pew. Four open mics every week at Mutiny Radio, brother.
0: The Roxy Theater is San Francisco's favorite nonprofit profit art house cinema, bringing you the best, coolest, weirdest, most thought-provoking movies of the past, present, and future. Hands down, there is no better way to get your film fix than at this legendary historic theater. Visit www.roxy.com, that's w-w-w-r-o-x-i-e.com today for showtimes and tickets.
4: Mutiny Radio at radiofm It's a great place to listen to
0: crazy things. Hey everybody, we are hanging out at Spark. This is the Sparkast. Today is May 1st. It's May Day, everyone. Yay. We're at Spark here on 8th and Mission hanging out for the Sparkcast. We're gonna get started. We have some really great guests tonight. We have Coral Best out of San Jose. We have Kakuna Calista Sinclair and Warhol Kaufman all hanging out tonight we're going to be doing some great highlights here on the Sparcast we're going to be doing some story time from our guests, some highlight story time we'll be doing a great product highlight tonight we're talking about edibles tonight absolutely we're going to be doing comedy highlights we have a bunch of comedians with us and we'll have our interactive game today it's called You Put Your Weed in There going to ask the audience what their favorite foods are, and then I'm going to tell them how to put weed in there, because I've been working with marijuana since 1993. My first weed recipe was published in the Koala, UC San Diego publication, so some of you listening to this podcast weren't even alive then, in 93, but we did all the
5: work for you kids, so that
0: now you can...
6: was the Chambers brothers uh, with their classic time has come today from 1968 and this is the labor and love show of course and I am the B coming to you from 2781 21st Street at our studio here on the corner of Florida and 21st Street where every week at 10 a.m. on Saturday morning, we bring you labor and love. Labor opinion, commentary, history, interviews, all by, for, and about working people. This is the show where we tell you how it is. We tell you, that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. But we tell you, if you don't have a seat on at the table, at the negotiating table that is, where you work, you can bet that you are on the menu. And finally, never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. This is the labor and love show where the labor meets the road. We started off with the Chambers Brothers, Uh, originally a band that came from Louisiana. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about them later. That was a monster hit for them in 1968. And isn't it sad that it's just as relevant, maybe even more so today, than it was at the time it was first recorded? Chambers Brothers, time has come today. What do we got for you today on the labor beat? Today is the 19th of May, and on this day... 1925 I want to say 1925 was born one Malcolm Little who went through various changes as he grew and developed known to people as Malcolm X we're going to talk about Malcolm X today Malcolm can I just call you Malcolm? Radio Labor, as always, with our World Labor Report. Labor Beat, we're dealing mostly with teacher strikes. Another one now, ladies and gentlemen. What's it been? West Virginia. Oklahoma. Arizona, for heaven's sake. Now, North Carolina. North Carolina, which is... The state where Ms. Nikki Haley was the governor up until a short time ago, and she's taken over now as U.S. representative to the United Nations, and she raised eyebrows, got some real liar's points. This is a classic of double talk that the Israeli government has shown such restraint. The other day they shot down 60 unarmed people. The Israeli government has shown such restraint. No other nation would show such restraint as the Israeli government. Imagine, imagine if the People in Gaza had been armed. 40,000 people demonstrated. And Ms. Haley says, Israel showed restraint. At any rate, there's a teacher strike in her state coming up. Another really damning story about the NFL and its treatment of its cheerleaders we've got working class history about the slave trade and the revolution against slavery in brazil and somehow the pentagon has misplaced 21 trillion dollars yes you heard that right 21 trillion y'all <laughs> We're going to continue our celebration of Labor History Month today with the last three parts of Fred Glass's History of the Labor Movement in California, Golden Land's Working Hands, but uh, let's play some classic working man, working people's songs.
7: They call it stormy Monday But Tuesday's just as bad They call it stormy Monday But Tuesday's just as bad Winds is worse And Thursday's also said Yes, the eagle flies on Friday And Saturday I go out to play Eagle flies on Friday And Saturday I go out to play Sunday I go to church Then I kneel down and pray
5: Black and brown fighting together on the day I'll always remember. En el Cinco de Mayo con el grito de gallo, black, white and brown bleeding together on a day I'll always remember. Because really, it hasn't been that long, so just in case Cat Williams had you guessing, let me kick y'all down with a little history lesson. 19th century, while the U.S. promoted degradation, annihilation with its military and U.S. Navy. Mexico got rid of the caste system, voted for its first indigenous president, even getting rid of legalized slavery. The Underground Railroad also ran south, which led black folks to freedom, with Mexico right there to receive them. 1910, it was Mexican men with Pancho Villa and Zapata fighting for tierra, libertad, y techo with Adelitas on the front line with bullets across their pecho. In the year 1946, it was the Mendez family that fought against segregation in schools. Because before that, they treated us like fools pushing us out into gangs, wars, and drugs. And then they get pissed off at us when we become crips and bloods. Taviesos, zutzuras, pachucos, floristas punks, bomberas, haraneras in the heat, haraneras with the bomb as beat. Talking about what's really going on in the streets. In the 60s, in the streets of Oakland, California, Black Panthers organized for answers. Young lords in New York fought against wars. The Stonewall Rebellion remained true for the rights of the LGBTQ. AIM, who was down for Native rights, with no shame in their game. Brown raised in LA learning how to fight and doing what's right. In the Campos of California, Filipinos were the first ones to lay down the boycott. Screaming in solidarity, Isang Baksak One rise, one fall You come for one, you come for all And today, Arizona and Alabama, they don't play Carving out racist lies like it's made out of clay I stand with Emmett, Trayvon, and Bell With my mentor, Mumia, up in the cell Telling you I'd rather be blind Than to stay quiet on a day Where my people are hunt down like prey My ability to breathe is directly connected to my ability to see, it's not about me, never was, never will be, it's about we, it's time to move y'all, my it's movement time.
6: Before we get to the history of the labor movement in California and our other stories, including the birthday of Malcolm X, we had, uh, last one was the Sloop John B., a work song from the 19th century about a, a job that goes awry of course by the Beach Boys. Before that we had It's Movement Time by Las Cafeteras a band that formed uh, many years ago in in and around Cal State and Northridge when the Chicano movement was in one of its iterations. The band is still together and uh, T-Bone Walker with Tuesday's Just As Bad, The Working Man's Blues, They Call It Stormy Monday. Okay, well, let's take a look at some of the stories that we referenced when we started out. Um, Um, It's especially interesting, the teachers' strike in North Carolina. Now, this is popularresistance.org. Google is suppressing this site. This is one of those tweaks that uh, are affecting our our access to news, especially news about popular movements. And here's how it goes. Ilana Novik is the writer, and it's from Truthdig. 20,000 teachers state a school walkout in North Carolina on Wednesday, demanding better salaries and more money for education. 40 school districts cancel classes in what the New York Times reports is the first walkout. There are people for teachers in, town, in that men,
8: state. In
6: North Carolina stood 39th nationwide in terms of public school teacher pay in 2017. And teachers' wages have fallen by 9.4%. That's almost a tenth of the value of your check in real terms. Spending on the same period, the same period spending on public schools here has dropped by 8% classic austerity formula
9: but if you could go and see how you beat the hell
6: out of it and things change, like education change. other then public you services
9: the
10: house, are,
9: so much we.
6: You underfund them you turn around and accuse them of being inefficient and you hand the money that was meant for the schools or for other public services over to private corporations with myths that these things can be done better by a company at the same time by cutting spending on education and on teachers salaries and on the salaries of support workers at schools who are often just as
8: important as teachers you weaken
6: the teachers unions force teachers to spend money out of their own pockets. I was a teacher for 34 years and I always worked a second job. In my case, it was I was lucky enough to get a job in a union that sets up and tears down the trade shows in San Francisco, which is big, big business. So, both the low pay and the lack of resources have taken a toll on teachers' morale. And here's another teacher reporting, a 26-year-old named Caitlin Davis, who teaches fourth grade, told The Guardian, it's not fair because it takes away from the energy that I have to put into teaching. I have to work other jobs. North Carolina is the sixth state where teachers have stage walkouts of not full-fledged strikes in 2018. Starting with West Virginia, the strikes have been concentrated in red and purple states, particularly states with years of both state budget reductions and tax cuts that have decimated funding for education, not to mention teachers pay their health care and retirement benefits. Teachers swarm both the state capitol and their own towns, wearing red as a common Twitter hashtag and rallying cry, and attempting to grab the attention of state legislators. Previous teacher protests have helped galvanize the labor movement in the states involved, even those that have adopted anti-union right-to-work laws west virginia oklahoma and arizona have won pay raises even if north carolina teachers don't win similar games immediately it gives both north carolina unions and its democrats a popular issue to organize around for the upcoming elections is out and out uh, anger. You know, so much has been done to cut teachers' salary. Let's see what's on the labor beat. This is the FaceTime, uh, Facebook page. Labor and Love Radio. How Arizona got from A to Z. Let's see how it happened. says, we have teachers who have been awakened from a slumber. It's from the socialist worker. Over the course of about <coughs> two months, a team of less than 10 rank and fire edu- file educators, most of whom hadn't even met previously built a rank and file teachers group from the ground up that eventually spread across the Grand Canyon State and led to the walkout of some 60,000 Arizona educators that ended May 3rd. When the dust had settled, they didn't win all their demands, but they clearly won the first battle in the war to fully fund education in the state governor and the state legislature agreed to a 240 million dollar increase in funding to schools with this money school boards are expected to increase teacher pay by 10 percent kentucky is another state As recently as April 10th, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey and his fellow Republicans leading the state legislature were firming, holding firm to their plan of adding just 65 million to the budget and providing a paltry 1% wage increase for teachers. But they were stopped in their tracks when tens of thousands of public school educators decided that they had had enough. Okay. Read about it on socialistworker.org. Read the full article. Okay, now this, this one comes from The Guardian as well. It's an exclusive about how white right-wing groups wield secret toolkit to plot against U.S. Unions what these groups have done is organized to go door to door, in some cases, to convince workers to refuse to pay dues by dropping out of their union. And the villains here are the Koch brothers and Betsy DeVos uses a secret toolkit to encourage members to quit. What are they so scared of? Why are they willing to spend all this money, all this money to attack unions and try to actually try to do away with unions? What's the problem? The problem is that unions are people working together who are not under the control of a boss. These are people who obviously have been thinking for themselves and who want to organize themselves to make their lives better. Do pay raises and and uh, safety provisions. Every 15 seconds a worker dies on the job or from job related conditions. Those safety initiatives come from employers? Is your employer just out of nowhere going to hand you a fat pension? A lot of the pensions that were set up now are not funded at all because the people who set them up lost control of them. Employers have control of them and so they just don't fund them and then when it comes time for workers to collect their pensions the money's not there amazing here's a sad one this is uh, this is Toys R Us Toys R Us I mean it's one of the wonderful places to go (laughs) <laughs> when you were a kid, right? Because it was dedicated to kids. Now Toys R Us is closing. Toys R Us workers across the country are losing their jobs. This is what happens when you have a system that allows private equity firms to destroy profitable businesses and throw workers out on
11: I have spent the better part of my adult life working for the company, so it has been thoroughly devastating. 30,000
12: Toys
4: R Us workers,
12: 30,000 workers are losing their jobs.
4: The whole company is going to liquidate.
12: Now, My understanding is that financially,
0: Toys R Us was actually doing fairly well. Is that the case? Yes. They walk away with all this money and hardworking, loyal, dedicated people are left with nothing. saw the changes when 2005 came in and they took over. We went from public to private owned. The company just didn't seem to care anymore. It was harder and harder to get that family feeling, know that we were going to be taken care of. And you saw a big change? We did.
4: Suddenly there was no investment in the people. It was just, you're
11: just another building just sell some mm-hmm. toys. And eliminating a lot of full-time positions, which a lot of people lost their health insurance. Right.
12: So as a result of that takeover, wages and benefits
1: suffered.
11: The liquidation started in February, and we kept saying, well, what's the severance? What's the severance? Every week, they were working it out with the bankruptcy judge. And then we were more than halfway into the liquidation, and that's when they let us know that we were getting nothing.
12: So 30 years, and then you left? let go without a penny.
11: They had
13: originally said that there was going to be severance for the first wave of stores, and two weeks later, through the bankruptcy court, they
11: said severance
0: is zero. It's been a family for us. You don't
11: stay at a job for 30 years and not gain connections with the, the people you work with.
4: People that have been there for so many 30 40 50 years now they're sitting around looking like well what else am i going to do i want to be able to know that in some way my future is certain and with the way that retail is looking right now it's kind of frightening i want to be able to put my my whole self into a company but then it's like how can i be excited for the future when people have spent their 30 40 all of their lives with a company and then in the end stuck like, well, what do I
12: do now? Making a very important point, and that is, when people on the top treat working people with such contempt, people are gonna say, why am I gonna do my job? Why am I gonna go the extra mile, right? Why should we? We're gonna get double-crossed, and that's a vicious circle.
11: I'm unemployed right now. I was in the first wave of the first 180 stores that were closed. We were sold the bill of goods because they said in September when they filed for Chapter 11 that we were regrouping, everything was going to be fine, we were all going to be fine.
14: It just put a really <laughs> ill feeling in my mouth to ever work for me. It's really good. All I know, for 20 years I started as a part-time sales associate.
1: It's a hell of a way to treat people. It's
15: sickening. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. sickening mm-hmm. to have people that bend over backwards <clears throat> their whole life and to just have it ripped right from under their feet.
0: does this company, these two companies, walk away with $470 million and live with themselves?
12: Well, that is the question. I think you know it better than I do, that their concern is not for the people who built the company people who work with the company. You are just numbers on a piece of paper.
4: People are like, oh, retail is such an easy job. It's They just stand around, smile, and that's not it. We give you guys the experience. We, we put our all into making sure that you're happy, your kids are happy. We just want something to show for it.
11: We work hard. I've um, gone on two job interviews, but neither one of them offered health insurance, which is a, a deal breaker for me. I have a husband that has some health issues. This
12: is a tough time for you all, I know. What you're doing, is sharing your experience. And the people who are going to watch this they're going to start nodding their head because they're going through the same experience. You're not the only people. We
11: didn't think anybody really wanted to hear our story. So I appreciate everybody's support and can only hope for the best.
6: OK, that was Senator Bernie Sanders talking to a group of uh, Toys R Us employees. Toys R, Toys R- Us has declared bankruptcy. It was one of those moves where you're only looking at the bottom line, where people are talking about your job, which is really your, your life in a lot of ways, how you're treated on your job and how much you make on your job. Really have a lot to do with the quality of your life and the life of your family your kids. And it's like a paper move. Some private equity company sees an opportunity to declare bankruptcy. They get out of pensions, paying pensions, and uh, walking away with $470 million in this case. Toys R Us. Too bad. And the people who made it, Toys R Us. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about the Washington Redskins. NFL Washington cheerleaders go public with horrific treatment. This is by Dave Zirin. In a bombshell expose written by Juliet McCourt for the New York Times, Washington cheerleaders have gone public about their treatment by team officials a story, Zyron writes, that will cause you to grind your teeth into enamel dust. In 2013, 36 cheerleaders went on a team trip to Costa Rica to model for a team calendar. This was unpaid. To their surprise, upon landing, they said that their passports were seized by the team. Then, while they were being prepared to be photographed on a private beach, they were asked to post topless, even though there would be no topless pictures in the calendar. They also discovered that they had some unwelcome guests, a select group of corporate sponsors, all men who were on site to gawk at the cheerleaders as they posed. It was so uncomfortable that the cheerleaders formed human screens so their colleagues could change without being harassed. After a 14-hour day, nine of the 36 cheerleaders were told that their day was just beginning. Sponsors had picked them out. Picked them out? Sounds like slavery, huh? To be their personal escorts for the evening. Several started to cry. As Mancour writes, their participation did not involve sex, but they felt that they were being pimped. They were sent to a dark, near-empty nightclub in a van. After about two or three in the morning, finally able to return to their hotel, they were stopped by Costa Rican police, who asked for their passports, which had been seized by the team. They were treated like sex workers until they were able to prove otherwise. Look for it on Edge of Sports, Dave Zirin's column. And he concludes with this. The treatment of cheerleaders in the NFL is a disgrace. There's an easy answer. They can pay them decent wages and cover them with basic labor protections. I think the league has enough money to do that. that the league has not accomplished these modest goals speaks volumes about Roger Goodell's leadership in his league. The answer is not to abolish cheerleading, as some have suggested. It's a union for these workers so they can collectively bargain for what they deserve. Now, people say this, why don't we just not have cheerleaders, right? But the attitude that produced this problem is still there, and that attitude is using people, people's work, people's time, people's people's lives, to enrich someone else. (coughs) Dave Zirin, Edge of Sports. Check it out. All right, I think we got time now for radio labor and then we'll get on to uh, our celebration our may, may celebrations of malcolm x's birthday and excuse me the labor movement in california aka golden lands working hands here's radio labor
1: this is solidarity news on radio labor This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, May 18th, 2018. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how global unions support the LGBTQI community, women tea workers in India may finally get back pay after 15 years. Labor takes the EU Commission to court to support social dialogue. The Labor Start report about union events around the world and singing with pride, bread and roses. This is Radio Labor. May 17th is International LGBTQI Day, a day set aside to remind people of the rights and challenges of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, and intersex persons. To find out how the labor movement is fighting for LGBTQI people, I talked to Sandra Vermonten. Ms. Vermonten is the head of campaigns for Public Services International. PSI is the global union which represents public sector unions around the world. I asked Miss Vermotton first why a labor organization like the PSI fights for the rights of LGBTQI people.
16: Well of course the defends the rights of, of all workers irrespective of their cultural, racial or sexual identity. We think that every person has has a right to express themselves in the way they are is their human right, but it's also about especially as public service workers, to both integrate those values in the way we provide services to people but also inside our trade union movement. So this is really for us a very, I think would say an intrinsic part of our work. We think that a, a union that defends LGBTQI uh, workers is a progressive union and that's the movement, a trade union movement that we stand for.
1: I know it's a vast and complicated issue but what are some of the major challenges faced by LGBTQI people in the workplace?
16: Well, of course, I think the first one is that still, even today, a lot of LGBTQ people hide. I mean, they stay in the closet. They hide their orientation because of fear of retribution, fear of being uh, discriminated against. So they can never really be honest about what's really defining their life in a a certain way. Then once people actually know that they are, that they have another sexual orientation, they, they can actually get very much discriminated against, of course. I mean, that there are many different forms of discrimination. In some extreme cases, it can lead to suicidal ideas or even to suicide, violence at work. And besides that, just a lack of uh, recognition for, I would say, for the family status of people. I think that's not a healthy situation. So those are the kind of issues that we have to fight against and that we have to make people aware about, that it's not okay to, that we have to provide an environment that is inclusive, that is and uh, that recognizes the right uh, of everybody to happiness without any difference in terms of who it is that they share their life with
1: what do trade unions do to help lgbtqi workers
16: what is it that trade unions do in the first case of course collective bargaining so integrating uh, lgbtqi workers rights in collective bargaining so uh, recognition of same-sex relationships of fighting against discrimination against those workers at the workplace we think is very important at the same time also ensuring representation of these workers within our organizations, and leadership speaking out against discrimination, but also for diversity, in favor of diversity as a as actually as an as an added value for our movement, I think is very important. I think that it's really important to note that while there has been a very positive development in the last twenty years in terms of recognition of LGBTQI rights and of same sex relationships, also in terms of marriage rights. In the year two thousand there was not a single country in the world where such marriages were possible, but now there's I think almost twenty At the same time, there are 70 countries in the world where same-sex relationships are still criminal. And I think that's something that we also have to work. That's a really important campaigning issue for the Global Trade Union Movement and for anybody who has a human rights agenda.
1: Tea workers in India, mainly women, may finally get wages due to them for a decade and a half. Marie Ainsborough reports.
17: Thanks to legal action by IUF, the Global Union for Food and Agriculture Workers, tea workers in India may finally receive partial payment of wages due to them for 15 years. The Supreme Court of India has ruled in favor of a legal action started in 2003 by the IUF and its affiliated union, the Estates Staff Union of South India. The back wages have been due since tea plantation owners began abandoning the estates 15 years ago. They left 300,000 workers and their families without income, which led to widespread hunger and malnutrition, even starvation. Last month, the court ordered the governments of four states to pay half the back wages due the workers as an interim measure. The governments have 60 days to make the payments. I.U.F.'s action on behalf of the tea workers began in 2003, when there were reports of starvation amongst the mainly women tea workers and their families. Seven years later, the Supreme Court ordered that the governments of Assam, West Bengal, Tamil Nadu and Kerala take over abandoned plantations and pay the workers. This latest court action came about because the I.U.F. and unions in the country accused the governments of not complying with the 2003 court decision to pay the workers. It is not clear if the governments will accept the ruling and begin paying the partial back wages. IUF represents some 12 million workers who are members of 430 labour organisations in 130 countries. I'm Seemarie Ensbro reporting for Radio Labour. For the first
1: time, labor in Europe has started court action against the European Commission. The European Public Service Union, EPSU, is arguing that the Commission is illegally refusing to bring an agreement made by the social partners, the unions and the employers, to the whole European Council of Member States. EPSU represents labor unions with 8 million members in 28 European countries. The Commission acts as the executive body of the European Union. Union with responsibility to bring forward legislation and manage the day-to-day affairs of the EU. I talked to Jan William Hudrian about the situation. Mr. Hudrian is EPSU's General Secretary. I asked him about the unprecedented action by the Commission to not forward to the whole Council a decision that had been made between the employers and the unions.
8: Yes, indeed, it is unprecedented, because it's also the first time the European Commission is refusing to bring forward a social partner agreement upon the joint request of the social partners. that means the employers and the unions, to the Council for a decision. So why do we take this unprecedented step of bringing the European Commission to the European Court of Justice? Because the Commission is denying 9.8 million workers information and consultation rights in EU law. The European Commission is violating the treaty with regard to social partner agreements and, on top of everything else, it is not acting as a good public administration should, not respecting standards of accountability, transparency, good public administration behaviour. So, that is the core of the reasons why we are taking the European Commission to court.
1: How many people are affected by this refusal of the European Commission to bring forward the agreement between the employers and the labour unions?
8: The European Commission as part of a process of evaluating how many workers would be concerned came to the figure of 9.8 million with other words nearly 10 million workers who would be affected so it would affect somebody who works in a tax inspection office somebody who's a clerk in a, in a governmental agency uh, a cleaner who's employed by a government by a ministry a receptionist and so on and so on and all the other many jobs there are in public uh, administrations. so that is quite a a large number of people who would get the rights for information and consultation and in EU legislation. So very, very disappointing that the European Commission is refusing to bring this agreement forward to the council for a decision.
1: Give us some background to this arrangement for decisions by the employers and the unions to be implemented within the treaty that created the European Union.
8: With the employers in central government administrations, we reached an agreement in December 2015 to close a loophole in European legislation uh, on information consultation rights. There is already legislation, but it applies to workers in private companies and in public companies. It does not apply to workers in public administration.
1: Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder.
18: Here's a small sample of the average of 195 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to the coverage of the release of a Kazakh Union activist from jail, the anti-labor policies of the Afghan government, and Union condemnation of the killing of Palestinian civilians by the Israeli army. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. A lockout of university faculty in Canada ended after a provincial government applied pressure on the employer. Bangladeshi coal miners walked off the job after their demand for a pension was rejected by their employer. 7,500 teachers were arrested in India after a one-day protest over changes to their pension scheme. The South African public transport strike ended in a victory for the Union. Agricultural extension workers walked off the job in Antigua and Barbuda in a dispute over wages and working conditions. Poor workplace conditions caused a walkout by public sector workers in the United States Virgin Islands. The huge healthcare walkout continued in Nigeria. Support staff at the Jamaican Fire Service were calling in sick as a result of the stress caused by the delays in negotiating a new collective agreement, and the workers who make fast food restaurant equipment in the Philippines down tools early in the week as they demanded an end to their contract employee status. Our top working women stories included coverage of the high suicide rate amongst Indian garment workers subjected to sexual harassment, the large percentage of political candidates in an election in Canada who are women union activists, and police assaults on women sex workers in South Africa. The Health and Safety Newswire rerun in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the protests by miners demanding safe workplaces in South Africa, where 33 mine workers have died so far this year, a safety strike by American truckers who deliver beer, and the increase in workplace violence faced by Australian retail workers. Currently, Labor Start is running one online action. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unions around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Hopefully the cat uh, wasn't too noisy, but that was Bogart.
19: A victory! Victory!
1: During the 1984-85 miners strike against Margaret Thatcher in the UK, the workers were supported by the LGBTQI community. The story was told in the 2014 movie Pride and ended with
0: marching, marching in the beauty of the day. A million darkened kitchens A thousand mill of scray Are touched with all the radiance That a sudden sun discloses For the people hear us singing Bread and roses, bread and roses as we go marching, marching, we battle to for men.
18: your day and join thousands of traders
1: International labor news, you can use. I'm Mark Boulanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about Global Solidarity.
8: Okay,
6: that was Radio Labor, reporting about labor actions all around the world, many of them successful, Never lose faith. All over the world, people are in the same boat. To a more or less degree. They're struggling for a living wage. They're struggling for some kind of job security. They're struggling for safe, safer work, safer working conditions. Are you part of that or not? Basically, that's it. right, I want to play a little Malcolm X. I want to talk a little about Malcolm X. Uh, A figure whose words as a prophet are relevant today. Because the issues are the same. Malcolm X was... Always standing against the racism that his people experienced here in the United States. His life story, he was such uh, an influential speaker because in his life he embodied so much of the experience. Of african American people, he was born on a farm he He grew up in Nebraska on a farm uh, went to an all white school. Uh, his mother, after his father was murdered his father was a follower of Marcus garvey uh, His father was murdered. And his mother was kind of uh, driven crazy, trying to raise four kids and, and uh, keep her family together and keep her home together. Finally, the kids were taken and sent to foster homes. Malcolm X was so, he was raised by white people, went to live with his sister in Boston, became an urban hustler, sold marijuana, pimped, uh, robbed affluent homes,
8: was caught, sent to jail. Another part of the experience
6: of young black men, many, many, many of whom have criminal records and have served time in jail, thus becoming disenfranchised. And somehow in jail, he found an outlet for his curiosity. He read, he educated himself. He began writing to Elijah Muhammad, head of the black Muslim movement at the time. Uh, Was eventually paroled and became a minister in Elijah Muhammad's uh, Muslims, black Muslims movement a uh, well-publicized breakup as he discovered that Elijah Muhammad was, had fathered children with uh, several of his young secretaries um, Malcolm split with the movement started his own islam-based movement and tried to join it to the larger movement for social justice and islam all over the world and he was murdered by police police maybe uh, the muslims maybe other people conspired to kill him here he is talking about police brutality and mob violence
20: if you want to investigate something, find out why they stopped building Harlem Hospital. There were people in Harlem fighting hard for a long time to get that hospital built. Had a hard time getting the white men even to start it. Then when they finally started on it, and there's nothing you need in Harlem more than a hospital, because you're sick and you just got cut, or you're just getting ready to cut someone else. And We needed that hospital, so all these people had a brainstorm, they got up there and picketed and demonstrated, and the white man took away all the workers, stopped to work. And someone said earlier this afternoon, they're still being paid and the hospital is not going up. Your money, the money you pay out in taxes, is is paying the white construction workers who are sitting at home doing nothing. This is some brainstorm. That someone got off the track on when they tried to stop the construction of the hospital in brooklyn couldn't stop it because that hospital is for white people primarily and you are not going to stop construction where the white man is to benefit the only thing you're going to stop is something right here in home but what really stopped the work up there too many of y'all was out there and the white man is free to you, long as the line up there was uh core originally started the picketing. And there were more whites picketing than than blacks. Nobody was worried. Plus, they started picketing on a cool day, and our people don't come out when it's cool. It was on a Wednesday, I think, and it was cool. And then on a Thursday, everybody came out there. They weren't demonstrating, but they came out there as spectators. And when all these black people uh, as spectators began to stand there and watch, they were afraid. Because they knew that with the picketers uh, picketing, Any little thing could happen, and even though you don't want to integrate, if the white man started beating some integrationist heads across the street, you couldn't stand there and watch it. Your nature wouldn't let you do it, and this is what would make you explode. He knows that, so he stopped the building of the hospital, but they have not been successful in bringing a halt to any other construction in the city of New York outside of Harlem. So if they really meant good, they could have stopped that building over there in uh, Brooklyn. That you can bring all hope homes to all the construction in New York City if those preachers are really for real. All they got to do is take all their congregation and take them down to Times Square. Tie it up. Now, I'm not talking Muslims aren't going to do this, but go and do something. And don't care what it costs. Don't care what the penalty or the price is. When you know you're right, you're right. And if you're not willing to go all the way, don't even start. Get on out of the line, get on out of the battle. And that's another reason why we don't pick it with you. As Reverend said, we're not non-violent. We have demonstrated, we pull a demonstration, but when we demonstrate, if you ever see us fall out in a demonstration, we are ready to die, or we're ready to see that someone else dies. I don't mean no turn the other cheek. This is the only reason that we don't become involved in these nonviolent demonstrations. It's not fair to walk up to a man nonviolently; and he got a club in his hand. You're out of your mind. So you should check and find out what started, what stopped, who is behind. And one of the leading men I saw out that day, out there that day, was a white man named Herbert Hill. Herbert Hill is the labor secretary for NAACP. Now Herbert Hill, a white man, holding a top position. In the NAACP can come to Harlem and stop the building of a hospital that for the benefit of black people if that white liberal really has your welfare at heart let him go downtown and stop some of these other construction sites and until these white liberals white people who call themselves liberals can go into their own neighborhood and stop construction don't let them come in Harlem and start telling you what to do no, when you want if if they want some action, you give them some action. And you'll bring about a change in your whole in the entire direction of your program and of your struggle, and you'll get a job done. We want every black man and woman to have freedom. The freedom to accept or reject being separated from the slave master's children and establish a land of our own. And this is what he says. Give all of us freedom of choice. First. Give every one of the 20 million black people in this country an opportunity to hear the truth. Let them be taught the truth about the white man and the truth about the black man. Let them be taught the truth about God and the truth about the devil. Let them be taught the truth about heaven and the truth about hell. And once they know the truth, then give them a chance to make a decision. But don't take this poor, dumb, deaf and blind, ignorant, brainwashed so-called Negro and ask him what he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. And because he doesn't know what he wants, he tries to integrate with a blue-eyed wolf. Don't you know, Anytime you see some sheep trying to integrate with wolves, those sheep are sick. Those sheep are out of their mind. And a sheep got more chance with a wolf than you got integrated with a white man. Why, a wolf can't be as hot on a sheep as the white man has been on you here in America. We want an immediate...
6: Malcolm X hitting all the bases. The racist role that unions played in that situation in Harlem. The lack of real education for young black people. The idea that white liberals could save you. The idea that Harlem, because you live there, is your neighborhood far, far, I don't want to say advance of his time, but let's say timeless. So it's true, the uh, union movement in, in many cases, historically, was racist. It was a way of white people either taking work away from other communities, or keeping other communities out and unable to establish themselves in unions. We're going to hear about the 50s now, though. In the 50s, people in California, workers in California, joined together cross-culturally, cross-racially to organize public sector unions. Part 8 of Golden Lands Working Hands by Fred Glass.
20: Political party. It is a way of life, an evil and malignant way of life. It reveals a condition akin to disease that spreads like an epidemic. And like an epidemic, is a quarantine gender. is necessary to keep it from infecting this nation.
10: Anti communism was a union busting tactic in my view, which divided working people, which divided uh, unions, which divided union leadership, which weakened the union movement greatly.
19: six men who built
12: this house Now let's move to California This is the El Dorado Rancho's development in Southern, California These homes reflect the colorful West Coast trend
17: and we have shrubbery of course right along in here and Oh darling, it's going to be just perfect.
13: We were living in a duplex and we had a car and a half <laughs> And uh, we were able to raise three kids with, without my wife necessarily working, although she was working part of the, that time in those years also.
21: Thanks to a booming economy and the highest percentage of union membership ever, most California workers are carrying full lunch pails. I think by going to work at
12: Sears Roebuck and being in a union, then I first of all had control of my job and I could have some security. These workers take home more in their paychecks, more with which to buy the products of America's expanding production more foodstuffs, clothing, homes and home furnishings, appliances, farm equipment, automobiles, all of the things which go to make up
20: our American standard of living.
12: But in addition to that, I could start looking at other cars.
17: Three weeks ago, we bought another Ford, the new low-priced, custom line Victoria. Isn't it stunning? Dave has it all to himself, and I now have the ranch wagon all to myself. It's a whole new way of life.
21: In the midst of the unprecedented prosperity, some new words enter the political vocabulary. McCarthyism, red baiting, HUAC, Cold War.
22: Of course, uh, then they uh, started that Cold War and the communists, they used that uh, House on american Activities Committee, they used that to smear people.
20: The communists have been, still are, and always will be a menace to freedom, to democratic ideals, to the worship of God and to America's way of life. Have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? I am framing my answer in the only way in
3: which any American citizen
1: can frame his then answer. You denied, a question then which
3: you deny his Absolutely invade.
20: Then the you deny
1: to. You, you refuse to answer that question. Is
20: that
22: correct? Down in Hollywood, uh, Jerry Fielding, he was the band leader, the musical director for the Groucho Marx show. Uh, two friends of mine, he hired them. They broke the color bar down there because you had a color bar where they were all white musicians. Two of my friends, Jerry Fielding, hired them. What happens? The House on American activities, they call him up before them. He lost his job with with the Groucho Marx show.
21: It isn't just Hollywood facing the anti-communist investigations. The federal government moves against immigrant labor leaders suspected of communist sympathies. It attempts to deport Longshoremen's Union president, Harry Bridges, four times in the 1940s and 50s. In the case of Luisa Moreno, cannery workers' union leader, it succeeds returning her to Guatemala. Jewish immigrant Joe Springer, who rose from the sweatshops to become a leader in the Los Angeles ladies' garment workers' union, is blacklisted and driven from the garment industry. Its oldest boy is beaten in school for having a communist father. The anti-communist attack reaches down into the union rank and file too.
13: I found that just Being an active, having an activist orientation put me under suspicion of being a communist. I then began suffering a good deal of unemployment, and it was time to move out of the area. I had no no alternative.
14: I had read a book as a 10th grader by Dalton Trumbo, and I went to hand the book report in, and the teacher told me that she couldn't take it. I had no clue why. I mean, this was, I guess, about 1953.
3: And then, whack, he found that books may have facts, ideas in them to help people get along together in this troubled world. So he went to work on the books. He went into the libraries and the schools, and he took the books he didn't like. He took those books and he made a big scrap heap, a great pile of books, and he danced around them, singing a song that went like this. To suppress the expression of truth in the lesson, there's nothing so good as a book-burning session. so
14: So the teacher made me promise that I would tell no one, because she could get in a lot of trouble.
10: People were scared to death of being labeled communist, and for good reason.
21: People were being thrown in jail, they were being blacklisted. Where did this Red Scare come from? Since the 1917 revolution, the Soviet Union had resented its system, which it called socialist, as an alternative to American capitalism. Although many labor activists did not consider the USSR to be socialist, since workers lacked democratic control over the system, tens of thousands of well-meaning people joined the American Communist Party in the 1930s and 40s, because it seemed to offer a solution for workers poorly treated by capitalism in crisis. After World War II, the international competition between the United States and the Soviet Union translates into something else at home. A former vice president of the United States warns, Inevitably, the Cold War means a
13: colder war against labor and progress in America.
21: The idealism of communist activists is now proposed to be equivalent to treason.
20: There is no doubt as to where a real communist loyalty rests. Their allegiance is to Russia not the united
21: states this red scare helps to pass the taft hartley act of 1947 which makes organizing tools such as mass picketing and secondary boycotts illegal and forces union leaders to sign an oath declaring they aren't communist
14: i went through some pretty hard times within myself you know would i would i Sign a loyalty oath if it meant my job.
21: In the prosperous 50s, relatively few working people get excited by an anti-capitalist message. Unlike in the 30s, the economic system seems to be working again. Communist influence in the labor movement, a force to be reckoned with for 20 years, is reduced to the margins. More importantly, the Red Scare casts a chill over all labor.
14: Our union was thrown out of the CIO, and we were an independent group for a period of three years. It
12: got people so they didn't really reach out like they should to help other
21: people, and it became sort of a more of a compartmentalized society. The communists are not the largest group of people left standing on the affluent society's doorstep. Government spending in the defense and aerospace industries, mainstays of the Cold War economy in Southern California, keeps unemployment from sliding back to depression levels. Still, not everybody who wants a job can get one.
22: Uh, I'm
12: John Q. Public. And what do you do? Nothing. What? I'm unemployed. Impossible. Nobody's unemployed. I haven't got a job. I've been laid off. You're a healthy soft spot. Like Secretary of the Treasury Humphrey said, a few soft spots are healthy. Congratulations.
20: But I
22: haven't got
13: a job. There was not much visible poverty. Matter of fact, when I was uh, urged to come to that area, I was told at time, it's time to come to California where everybody has a swimming pool. <laughs> everybody didn't have a swimming pool, but you couldn't see the kinds of ghetto Poverty that you see that we we knew in New York City, and you you couldn't you couldn't see any great or obvious divisions among neighborhoods unless you looked.
12: And while these walls will never need protective painting, they can be painted if the owner should ever desire a new color scheme.
22: You had uh, discrimination in housing. You'd go down, you'd see an apartment for rent, a sign. You'd go there, they'd tell you, "Well, oh, I'm sorry, it's just been rented. A white couple would go right behind you, and they would rent.
14: I became um, a dropout in high school because in the eighth grade I wanted to be a nurse, which meant an academic course. And the counselor, a Mrs. Murphy, called me in and, and asked me why had I filled out the form for, form for an academic um, course. And I said, because I wanted to be a nurse. And she said, what makes you think that anyone, as bl- that anyone who's sick wants anyone as black as you to take care of them? The uh, employment agencies were in cahoots with the employers. And they even had a code system 53 um, designated the Jews, so it would be no 53s. And if they were talking about the Negroes, which is what we were, they were called then, and are now called African-Americans, their number was 99s. So they would indicate no 99s.
22: I took a civil service test for elevator operator. And I went down in civil service. I went down there and the lady that I was interviewing, oh, you don't want this job. What do you mean I don't want this job? Well, it was entry level uh, civil service. And at that time, our city hall was lily white. You didn't even have a, a, a janitor or a shoeshine person in there, nothing.
14: And even some of the unions, not only were the employers, but some of the unions, the plumbers unions, for example, primarily nepotism, uh, you could only get a job with some of these unions, if you knew someone there.
13: My uncle got on the phone and asked if, if, if his nephew could get into the union, and the answer was, why sure, Sam, just so long as he ain't no nigger. <laughs> we had an argument about that, and I didn't get into the local that day.
9: <laughs> the house I live in the friends that I have found The folks beyond the railroad And the people all around The worker and the farmer The sailor on the sea The men who built this country That's
10: America to me After the war, when jobs became scarce When the shipyards started to close down the first to be laid off were African American workers, Hispanic workers, and women, and therefore feeling the impact economically, financially, of uh, having no work, having no prospect of work, and having only those skills that have become obsolete. That uh, for shipbuilding. Uh, It raised the question of what we do now. What are our employment prospects? Are we going to migrate back where we came from?
21: When Roosevelt's Executive Order 8802 expired at the end of World War II, the California CIO led an effort to put a permanent fair employment practices law on the ballot. But Proposition 11 went down to defeat in the 1946 general election. As a result, the struggle for equal rights in the workplace became a long-term effort of the civil rights movement in California.
23: Both the CIO and the AFL supported this. They were, the money came from all kinds of unions. The State Federation of Labor was a major source. But I remember a couple of years, we got big checks from carpenters' locals. Uh, you know, this was, this was a kind of broadly based effort.
14: I became active in fair employment practices because I had, was working for a labor union, a very liberal lab, labor union, the International Ladies' Garment Workers Union, and um, they emphasized the need to work in the community.
10: Laborers Local 300 was an organization uh, representing laborers that is those individuals who did work such as hard carrying, ditch digging, loading and unloading of box cars. Local 300 felt that the FEP struggle was central to what they did.
14: The legislature met every two years and every two years a bill was introduced either by Gus Hawkins or Byron Runford and each Two years was defeated. The um, community, the Mexican-American community, the Democratic Party, uh, the, the black community, NAACP, Urban League, CSO, we all were working for it.
10: I remember very clearly the support given by Jewish workers to uh, the Fair, Fair Employment Practices uh, movement.
14: Funds. For at CSO, I would say 50% of it at least came from the Jewish community. Um, you, you fight discrimination at every level, because if you don't fight discrimination at every level, at some point it's gonna to come to you too.
9: The house I live in, my neighbor's white and black. The people who just came here are from generations back. The town hall and the soapbox, the torch of liberty, a home for all God's children, that's
21: America to me. The state AFL and CIO federations set aside the jurisdictional disagreements and work with community groups to create local fair employment practice coalitions. Each year the local committees grow stronger. I uh, started participating
10: on weekends in something called the Fair Employment Practices, Committee of Florence Avenue. This street was the dividing line between what is now called Watts and downtown Los Angeles. And uh, African Americans lived south of Florence Avenue and hardly ever crossed it and uh, They also could not get jobs on Florence Avenue. It was an all white dividing line. I uh, did such things as picket. I uh, passed out leaflets. I discussed the issues with uh, people on the streets. We were picketing the especially large commercial enterprises for the purpose of asking them to
21: hire employees on a non-discriminatory basis. In 1955, labor and community groups formed the California Committee for Fair Employment Practices. C.L. Dellums is a natural choice for statewide FEP chairman, as a leader in both labor and civil rights organizations. And that was a a logical
23: thing, uh, because C.L. was also head of the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters
21: on the West Coast. As the coalition grows, the legislation moves steadily closer to becoming law. 40 to 50 organizations send representatives to meet each year in Stockton. Then Dellums would lead them to Sacramento to lobby for passage of the FEP law.
10: Those of us in the grassroots could not pass laws. We were not legislators. Those in the legislature could not or did not wish to, and it wasn't their style or their function to get out on the streets and pass out leaflets. So
21: therefore, we supported each other. Despite progress, by 1958, a Fair Employment Practices Act had still not passed, leading Dellums to note, nobody ever believed in discrimination, so you wonder how it lasted so long and is still here. Then the FEP forces receive a hand from unexpected quarters.
20: Never take medicine in the dark. It could be poison. And don't swallow this either.
21: United States Senator William Nolan, son of the anti-union Oakland Tribune owner, announces his candidacy for California governor. At the center of his campaign, he places support for a right-to-work initiative, which would outlaw the union shop. Since passage in 1947 of the Taft-Hartley Act, 18 states, mostly in the South, had passed right-to-work laws.
14: It sounds good, right to work, oh boy. You get a chance. You don't have to go to that union hall and pay them your money. You just go to the employer and say, here I am, and I wanna work.
12: They would say, you don't have to pay your dues. You don't have to pay dues, but you can still enjoy the rights of the union contract. And it's like me getting on the bus and paying for the bus and you getting on the bus and riding free.
10: I would have been very fearful if California had become a right to work state. I think it would have uh, uh, allowed uh, companies to pit white and black workers against each other by cutting and lowering the wage, having
21: two tiered at least. Wages, one for black and one for white. Union members worry about the outcome of the election for another reason. A few unions, including the Teamsters, are under government investigation for racketeering. When the Teamsters fail to satisfy an independent AFL-CIO demand to clean up their act, the Federation expels its largest affiliate. Newspapers feature the story on a daily basis. All unions seem tainted.
13: We know there's corruption in, in, in unions not nearly as much as there are, is in other areas of life, but there are, this is a society in which some of us, some individuals are corrupt and they do nasty things. But when they zero in on them as union officials and tar the unions with that image of corruption, it made us fearful of our ability to beat Proposition 18.
21: Working people mobilize in unprecedented numbers to repel the threat. Cesar Chavez and the community services organization register hundreds of new voters in Oxnard, a scene replicated across California.
14: I opened the headquarters in, in our district. We would spot a good location. It was empty. We'd go see the landlord, the owner of the building, and get it for free. We'd get into our jeans and clean that headquarters out. We would make our own signs. Up until the deadline, we would use these headquarters to register voters also.
21: AFL and CIO unions raise money for a television advertising campaign.
12: Right to work would give no job security to anyone, but it would take union security from all. If you are a homemaker.
17: Right to work states have the lowest average wages, lowest purchasing power, and the lowest standard of living in the nation.
12: Okay, we have the average factory workers weekly pay this back in 1958, when it was 97.22 in California and a right to
21: work state, 74.65, $23. The last weekend before the election, thousands of volunteer workers turn out to campaign door to door for fair employment practices, against a right to work and for Pat Brown for governor. Naturally, uh, I was on the side of uh, Governor
10: Brown, who had promised something that we held very dear, that is the Fair Employment Practices uh, Act. Those of us who had participated actively in the FEP campaigns in the grassroots, uh, switched over our activities to uh, support of Governor Brown. Most of it was done out in the streets
12: and out ringing doorbells, telephoning, But actually, there were probably more people out on that than uh, anything that I've seen.
10: And as I recall, Governor Brown won that one, didn't he? And that felt good for uh, a lot of us who had gotten somewhat used to losing campaigns that were good causes, but we often lost good causes. The AFL and the CIO unions began to
13: feel a lot more comfortable working together because we were, we were all pushed together in this fight.
21: Two weeks after the election, the California CIO and AFL end their 20 year rivalry and merge. Then comes the final push. We intensified our
10: campaigns to let our legislators know what our sentiments were, what the governor had promised, that the time is now right. And in that way, we gave them strength and courage, I believe, to act upon what it now was a clear and present
21: need. Leaders of the new state AFL-CIO are on hand when Governor Pat Brown signs the Fair Employment Practices Act in April 1959.
23: The law essentially said discrimination because of race, religion, national origin, sex was illegal and that the it set up a commission, the Fair Employment Practices Commission, to receive complaints of discrimination to investigate them, and to levy penalties.
14: It was a f- fresh breath of air to know that now you could get a job any place. It was really a dramatic, dramatic change in um, the way the doors were opened for everyone.
23: The major source of funds was from the labor movement. Uh, this is... Uh, something which people really need to understand because the bill, the Fair Employment practice, the Law applied to the labor movement. They were not escaping the impact of the law.
22: Before the FEP's, FEP, uh, which came in in 1958, 59, we had separate and segregated musicians unions not only were we separated from the standpoint of the membership, but also the the employment was segregated. Then after the FEP, our musicians' union, we merged, we became one, Uh, and uh, then after the merger, then the employment started to open up.
13: We had to support Pat Brown as strongly as possible in order to beat Bill Noland and the right to work law. And that meant that uh, unions and and individuals who may not have wanted to embrace the issue of FEPC found themselves fighting on the same side and brought people with common interests together to do a job that resulted in us being able to clean their clock.
6: And that was uh, <clears throat> part eight of Fred Glass's "Golden Lands: Working Hands: History of the California Labor Movement." Time to go. This is the bee reminding you: never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. The and when I say labor. I mean you. Carrie Miraji now. Have a good week and wish you good work. Hello to everyone out there. Earl, Sylvia. Mama Olga. All you people out there who are having it a little tough health wise now you're all going to get well labor and love radio if you're not don't have a seat at the table the negotiating table that is you're probably on the menu one person gets a dollar they didn't work for someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get The bee saying bye bye. And we'll see Gary Miragi with the Internacional.
3: Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm From there you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures.
2: street between 8th and 9th and at 473 hate street at Fillmore. both locations are open until 10 p.m every night spark staff looks forward to serving you coming at these bitches and all these snitches hitting switches going right to riches
0: of unique items that you can't find anywhere else. Their cheese section is insane.
21: I love Rainbow Grocery because it's the number one grocery store to shop at when you're having a potluck and need to fulfill